0: A lot of the expectation around Tennessee surrounds Joe Milton. And if he plays phenomenal, they'll be great. If he plays average, they'll be average. If he plays bad, they'll be bad. It's as simple as that. Quarterback-driven game, quarterback-driven offense, quarterback-driven team. Hello and welcome to Always College Football with Greg McElroy. As you can see, not donning my normal Always College Football attire. No, I'm not trying to class it up a little bit. We're actually deep in the midst of Media Days. I just got off the set a little while ago. have been interacting with coaches all day. They've been able to answer some questions, been able to talk, been able to speculate, been able to prognosticate. It's been a lot of fun the last couple days here in Nashville for SEC Media Days. But today, we have a very exciting show. We're gonna do some interesting comments and questions. We're gonna continue to do this. Follow me on social media. At Greg McElroy. You can also follow the show at always CFB. We're gonna try here in year number two to make the show a little bit more interactive. This show's for y'all. I want to know your opinion. We'll react to it, and we'll do that from time to time, and we'll try to at least do it in every single show. Today, a couple of interesting tidbits that we want to get into. Who are the biggest Heisman contenders in the SEC? in 2023. We also are going to knock on the idea that it's Bama and LSU in the West, Tennessee and Georgia in the East. We have that firmly established. And if you don't believe me, just look at all the metrics and the odds and the FPI and all the different Sabre metrics, if you will, where people have kind of figured out where these teams might ultimately land. Look at Vegas win totals. Whatever you want to use That appears at the moment to be the two top teams in their respective divisions. Remember, this is the last year that the SEC will use divisions, but I digress. If those two are at the top in their respective side of the league, who's next? We'll talk about some of those teams. Maybe just one, maybe just one that will surprise you. Perhaps it's a team that had high hopes last year and now maybe they can realize some of the expectations and reap some of the rewards of what was a terrific signing class just a couple years ago. We have a lot that we need to get to, so let's not waste any additional time with Mark Kubiak, Jack Foster, and Jake Garcia. Let's talk about it here on Always College Football. Two giant SEC topics here. We're deep in the middle of SEC media days three days in now. And we're starting to assess what these teams might ultimately be. Now, last week, I put out a question on Twitter. I actually put out two questions on Twitter. I put out a bunch of questions on Twitter. But these two in particular were drawn for this show. One, if not for the obvious four, Alabama, LSU out of the West, Georgia, Tennessee out of the East. I said obvious or the uh, kind of assumed four that would ultimately be picked one and two in each respective league who could potentially shock the world and steal the SEC crown. And we had a ton of response to this. Now, I really, by the way, I very much appreciate how many people took time to respond. It actually gave good quality reasons as to why they believe some of these teams could pull, potentially pull something off. And when you actually get a tweet from someone all vol all the time that says, hey, South Carolina, that's pretty dang good. I also was surprised. And and maybe maybe I'm just putting too much stock into what happened last year. Maybe I'm putting too much stock into the upside or the hype that Tennessee's getting. But the Twitter faithful that we relied on last week and asking the question, people weren't Quite as high on Tennessee as I had assumed. For instance, Sloan Howard reaching out saying, GMAC can't get on board with your assumption that Tennessee is for. I understand that. But that that wasn't the only one, by the way. There was a bunch that said, yep, yeah, not so sure about Tennessee. Uh, I'm kind of thinking that Tennessee might take a step back. Now, granted, to take it with a grain of salt, a lot of my followers. I mean, at least a handful, I would say a vast majority or whatever percentage it may be, they're Alabama folks. (laughs) So I'm sure there's no love lost for Tennessee. I get that. And last year probably feels a little bit painful to them. As a Bama alumni myself, yeah, sometimes thinking about last year and seeing that wobbly kick go through the uprights, it kind of hurt. I'd be lying if I said it didn't. But Tennessee, and I kind of broke it down last week in my top 25, I, I have my questions about Tennessee this year. I've been outspoken about that. I'm somewhat convinced that Joe Milton is a freak show talent, obviously. We all know that. We've seen him throw. But I also feel like we kind of fell victim a long time ago. And I, I feel guilty even talking about this. But I would be remiss if I didn't talk with my friends and my family here in the Always College Football Circle about 2015. We saw Jeremy Johnson for Auburn play a half of football against Arkansas. And then the following year, everyone thought he was going to be God's gift to football. Now, we've seen Joe Milton play at Michigan. We saw him play in the first couple games in 2021. We saw him play in the last couple games of 2022. Looked really good against both Vanderbilt and obviously against Clemson in the bowl game. But that's a pretty small sample size to be making some assumptions. So I very much am a believer in his ability. Will he ultimately live up to the expectation? I certainly hope so for Tennessee. I'm somewhat buying the hype, but there is reasonable doubt based on previous evidence that Joe Milton has disappointed at times as a starting quarterback. He's lost his job twice. We, we have to acknowledge that. I hope he's gotten better. I think he has, but it's worth noting, at least in this process. So I was surprised. Based on everyone's assumptions about Tennessee here in the preseason, how many people actually have some legitimate doubts? I, I, I can't say I necessarily completely share those doubts. No, I don't think Tennessee is within striking distance of the playoff this year. I don't. There, there are questions on defense. I like some of the transfers they brought back at the second level. Uh, I think the defense as a whole has a chance to be as good, if not in some ways maybe just the tiniest better than last tiniest bit bit uh, tiniest bit better bit better. That shouldn't even be hard to say. A bit better than last year. But the offensive line is a concern. I have to be totally honest when looking at the offensive line, you lost not one, but two, your two best offensive linemen from a year ago. And those guys are not exactly easy to replace. Now the system will alleviate some of those concerns, but it's worth noting that you lose a couple of difference makers up front, then that group could potentially take a slight step back. But let's be real. A lot of the expectation around Tennessee surrounds Joe Milton. And if he plays phenomenal, they'll be great. If he plays average, they'll be average. If he plays bad, they'll be bad. It's as simple as that. Quarterback-driven game, quarterback-driven offense, quarterback-driven team. We'll keep an eye on it. Something worth noting, but I was surprised at how many people fought back against that. A popular answer, and I kind of liked it, when looking at some of the teams that will be vying for the top four spot in the SEC. Kentucky was the first one that most people would point to. There were several that just responded without any examination, without any explanation, just a picture of big blue flag and UK and and logos. Uh, For instance, Alex Stevenson just wrote back a picture of the paw with the UK in it. Did have a couple people write back, say, hey, Devin Leary is going to actually be an improvement at the quarterback spot. I can understand that. I can get on board with that. Part of why I like Kentucky is, one, they play in the East. The East feels rather gettable. Two, I think they're terrific at a few different positions. Start with quarterback. I love Devin Leary. Absolutely love what he did at NC State. The problem is at NC State, he was not always 100% available. Did get banged up a little bit. He's got to be smart within the offense. He cannot put himself in harm's risk. He cannot take unnecessary hits. Because if he does, this thing could go sideways a little bit. I don't know a whole lot about Destin Wade. I don't know how good he is. I don't know if he's going to be a superstar or an average player. I don't know. But I know that Devin Leary is legit, and if he's on the field, you have a difference maker at the quarterback spot. Offensive line, y'all, they were terrible last year. I, I don't. I mean, we we try to be we try to be honest here. And when you are Kentucky and you pride yourself on being considered the quote big blue wall, and basically you're a big blue turnstile, that's a problem. That's a big problem. They didn't effectively create the run last year. They didn't effectively protect their quarterback and. That's a big issue. Good news is they they return all five, but when you play bad a year ago, is returning all five a good thing? I'll leave that up, up to you guys. You guys can tell us, answer us. We'll be curious to get your take on it. Ray Davis at running back, Awesome. Great player. Great transfer from Vanderbilt. Love what he brings to the table, and I love their receiver core. I think this receiver core is arguably the best in the history of Kentucky football. Liam Cohn comes in. He's going to do a great job with the offense. They're going to create some issues for whatever defense it is that they're playing against. And then I I guess when I look at Kentucky, I do have some concerns about the secondary, but to be honest, man, it's Mark Stoops. They're they're going to be pretty dang good in the back end. And Maybe they're not super elite in the back end like they've been at times, But they're going to be pretty dang good. And they bring back a a good solid core in the front seven. So I think Kentucky is a really, really good candidate to crack the top four in the SEC. Another hot topic of debate amongst our Twitter following. And for those that didn't see it, at Greg McElroy, at Always CFB. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram. You'll see us. So if you see these questions, chime in. We'll read your quotes on the air. I love this one. Absolutely loved this one right here. And I said it all the time already. All of all, all the time. I'll go with USC. All Beamer's done is overachieve. Yes, they have a difficult schedule, but I can easily see them with nine wins. Now, nine wins. Now, let's keep in mind, last year, I mean, this team was pretty dang close to nine wins already. They were pretty solid. But what's the next step for Shane, Beamer, and co? They played great the last couple games of the year. Obviously, the performance against Tennessee, the performance against Clemson, the performance against, uh, against Notre Dame was was pretty admirable as well. Obviously, they ultimately lost the game. but you score 38 points against that defense, it's something to feel pretty good about. Now, the defense, they still had to iron out a couple things. But for the most part, down the stretch, something clicked. But I have a hard time forgetting what happened against Florida. I have a hard time forgetting, against, forgetting the performance against Missouri. Uh, I have a hard time forgetting the performance against Georgia. Granted, it's Georgia. I, I understand that George is amazing. So those are the performances that need to be a little bit better. We've got to iron out some of those issues, but I'm confident enough and thinking they'll be able to do that. Still going to be an elite special teams unit. And I think Spencer Rattler and Juice Wells, starting quarterback, starting wide receiver, alpha dog wide receiver, that's a pretty dang good tandem to start with. They're going to be very, very solid at that spot. You got DK Joyner that's going to be moving full-time to running back. That's exciting. And then you look also at Juju McDowell at running back. Should be pretty solid at that spot. Now, who's going to emerge outside of Juice Wells? Uh, you got Xavier Leggett. Feel pretty good about his contributions, but they will miss Jaheen Bell, who transferred to Florida State. He was a very versatile piece that you could kind of move around, could create some different matchups with. He could put them at running back if you wanted to. And they did so time or two throughout the course of the end of last season. So it's going to be really interesting also to see how they factor in Trey Knox. Trey Knox is the transfer from Arkansas, has had success in this offense in the past. Remember the new offensive coordinators, Dowell Logans. He was the tight ends coach at Arkansas. Dowell Logans come from an NFL pedigree. Is he going to be more NFL? Is he going to be more Kendall Bryles like he was at Arkansas? I think Kendall Bryles is probably more likely. I think that should suit what they're doing quite well. Very excited about what this South Carolina team can be. They're not going to be sneaking up on anybody, though. That's for sure. They will have their hands full from the get-go. North Carolina game at a neutral site. First game of the year should be a tough one. That defense will be challenged for sure. You have Georgia on the road. Mississippi State's a difficult game. Kind of a unique game there in week four. You're at Tennessee, Florida comes to your place. Remember that game got sideways in favor of the Gators last year. You go to Texas A&M, you go to Missouri. So it's a difficult schedule and you finish with Kentucky Clemson. Those are tough spots, but you get Kentucky and Clemson at home. So they could finish with the bang against quality competition. So keep an eye on South Carolina out of the West. I'm going to do two teams. All right. Not going to spend as much time on these teams because we've already detailed how I feel about them. If you missed it check out our preseason top 25 show from a few days ago. I love Texas A&M and I love Ole Miss this year. Now, a lot of people think I'm crazy and I'm drinking the Kool-Aid with Ole Miss. And I understand that. I mean, it's hard to ignore how they finished. I mean, you have a phenomenal start to the year. I mean, you're rolling offensively. Defense had improved at least in the first month, month and a half of the season. And then boom, the wheels come off, most notably against Arkansas when he gave up literally two million rushing yards. But was that the product of Lane Kiffin maybe, you know, considering other opportunities? Was Auburn's pursuit of Lane Kiffin? Was that something that was maybe felt in the locker room? Because it didn't feel like they played with any type of spirit in the last couple of games. Yes, they got out to a really slow start against Arkansas and it played a little better in the second half. But either way, man, you look at their personnel. Look at their roster, though. Just just look at the roster, okay? And at this point of the year, it, it's it's kind of hard. We can look at schedules and we can say, well, this one's winnable, this one's not, this one should be a toss-up, this one's a lock. It, it, we can look at schedules and we'll do that as we get a little closer to the season. But I think in July we should really focus on rosters. Their roster is pretty dang stacked, y'all. I mean maybe not to the extent that LSU or Georgia or Alabama is, but man, they are pretty dang stacked. And we had some people that weighed in thinking that Ole Miss is certainly that team like JD it's between Ole Miss and A&M for me. And I'm leaning Ole Miss really like what they have on offense. Totally agree. But Ole Miss is, bounce back if you will. Remember they went to the Sugar Bowl a couple of years ago. It's going to have to come on the defensive side. We know they're going to run the football. We know they're going to have improved quarterback play. We know their wide receivers of weapons are going to be very good. They've always had those things. Now, defensively, can Pete Golding improve that group by say 20, 25%? Cuz if he can, this team becomes remarkably dangerous. I happen to believe not only that he can but he will. And you look at the portal additions, everyone focuses on offense with Lane Kiffin. Look at some of the portal additions on defense. Guys that are physical, guys that can play stout at the line of scrimmage, and guys that have experienced in power 5 play. I really like some of the portal additions that they've made on that side of the ball and then finally Am, much like Ole Miss, y'all, the roster is stacked. it's stacked and and you don't have to love Am and we can probably sit there and say and I would have told you this last year, I was a little bit bearish on Am given what people were saying about it, like they're going to knock on the door of the playoffs. I was like, man, they're young. I mean, they're really young. And I mean, is Haynes King the answer? I remember, I remember all the hype going into the last season. It just felt like it was weighing a down a little bit. You have an injury or two that seemed to kind of throw things off. When Anaya Smith went down, it was like, oh boy. I mean, there goes a huge piece. Devon A. Chain's not healthy down the stretch. It's like, man, this A&M team can, can really seem to get out of their own way. Here's the keys to AM. Wigman's experience at quarterback. He's going to be much better this year. Offensive line pay, play has to get better. They have to find an adequate replacement for Devon A. Chain. They're super excited about the freshman Ruben Owens. And they also really like both Le'Veon Moss and Amani Daniels. Like they're going to Amari Daniels. They're going to be pretty good at running back. They're going to be pretty good. Now, I don't think they're going to be as good as Devon, a chain, but they should be solid enough to be able to fill that void adequately. The offensive line's got to be better, man. They were a disappointment last year. They have to be better, but you think about coach transition. Steve Adacio came in last year, a little different approach. So maybe it's just kind of took a year for him to reach the guys to get them to play up to their potential defensively, really stout up front, Corners, a bit of a question, but they're really stout up front. So if they can rush the passer and harass the quarterback, guess what that does? It helps the defense backs a lot. So I really like AM this year, and I will be the first one to eat crow if they fall flat. But I think they're going to be all over it. And it sounds like based on our Twitter feed, at Greg McElroy at Always CFB, you guys are kind of singing the same song that we are as well.
1: Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
0: Second question that we posed on our Twitter feed last week. Who is the SEC's best Heisman contender? Now, part of my issue with the Heisman, and you guys have heard me talk about this on Always College Football or on College Football Live or on even on games. I think I've brought it up because I am a little bit ticked off with how the Heisman's been awarded and covered the last 10 15 years it feels like a popularity contest that goes to the quarterback of the best team or the best player on the best team and, and and almost always you have to be in the national championship hunt to win the Heisman trophy now there've been rare examples where guys aren't in the in the playoff or in the Heisman or in the in the hunt for a natty that have ultimately won it like Tebow in 2007 i think they had three or four losses Uh, Lamar Jackson back six, seven years ago, they had three or four losses. He also had Johnny Manziel who had unbelievable moments, but also had a couple losses that kind of kept them out of the national championship picture. But usually it's a playoff play of a person in the playoff or a person that's within striking distance of the playoff that ultimately brings home the prize. Caleb Williams did it last year, didn't make the playoff, but they were in it until the very end, all the way up until the PAC 12 championship game. And he secured his Heisman just a couple weeks earlier. So I I think the Heisman needs a bit of a refresh, if you will, with how it's awarded, because it should go to the most outstanding player in college football, regardless of how good their team is. How good is the player? I love what some of you answered. Okay. I absolutely love what some of you answered. I actually got a couple of defensive players, believe it or not. Mimi Sims said Kool-Aid McKinstry. I kind of like that. Now, he's going to have to have 10 picks uh, and maybe contribute in the return game drastically, but I kind of like that. I like that we're having a couple guys that are maybe off the grid a little bit. How about Graham Mertz? <laughs> How about TR saying Spencer Rattler? Uh, Noah, by the way, said Graham Mertz. Which uh, Noah, I, I love you. I I don't forecast Florida having a season quite like that. But if for whatever reason they overachieve drastically, Graham Mertz will likely be. On the short list, I also like too that we're starting to get out of our comfort zone, maybe a little bit. Uh we're, we're starting to consider other position players, guys that maybe don't play quarterback or running back or even wide receiver. How about a tight end, Brock Bowers? Like if we are really going to award, and I'm not look, we're not starting Heisman campaigns in July. Okay. So like hang on. Just under, hear me when I say this. Okay. Please, please, please hear me when I say this. And I hope you guys understand where, where we're coming from here. It's fun to speculate about. It's fun to talk about different guys. It's fun to talk about different positions, but like the Heisman Trophy is going to be the result, not because of some media hype. It's going to be result of tremendous play week in and week out over the course of a twelve and thirteen game regular season. So <laughs> hear me when I say this: I'm certainly not going to be banging the drum for any of these guys that we're mentioning right now, uh, because I want I don't, I don't really want to. To this is just fun fodder for July. Why wouldn't we? How about all the people that said Brock Bowers, Joe Neal? saying Brock Bowers. A bunch of others, by the way. He's not the only one. Uh, Kenny P, Brock Bowers. Uh, a, a handful of others that actually said so as well. We had a ton of people chime in on this. So I'm sorry if I didn't get to everybody, but you understand where I'm coming from. College Football Focus, who I think does a really good job. Jaden Daniels for LSU. Also listed Kool-Aid McKinstry. So kind of interesting that there's some people starting to feel the love on the defensive side. A little surprised that there hasn't been any Dallas Turner references at Alabama. Thought that might be a guy that would justify maybe a response or two, but he got goose egged at least up to the point in which we're doing the show. Connor Wigman was also mentioned. Who knows with the supporting cast, maybe a breaks out this year, anything could potentially happen. I loved this one because this was probably the most popular listed name of the bunch. And it was surprising to me if I'm going to be completely honest. Joe Milton and granted, ton of Tennessee followers, Tracy, Joe Milton, Volunteer Sports Network, it's tough to guess where they're going from, but I respect it. Ramrod, Joe Milton. So many people choosing Joe Milton. And I already talked about it a moment ago. If we're going based exclusively on arm talent and physical ability, Joe Milton can go with anybody. But I think it's going to be really, really hard to have a season that was as effective and as efficient as what Hendon Hooker put forth last year. And Hendon Hooker was robbed of a trip to New York city. Absolutely robbed. He should have been there. I'm still mad about it, but I'm the water under the bridge. He's going to be playing in the NFL and we pull him for him every step of the way. He was robbed. I don't know if everyone agrees with that, but that's the way I feel. And clearly it's a passionate topic for me, but Joe Milton's gonna have to exceed his numbers. And not just exceed his numbers, exceed his moments. Because if there's one thing about the Heisman Trophy, is it's now become as much about moments and like highlight real plays as it is as numbers or being on a winning team or something along the lines of that. Like you got to have highlight moments against big big opponents on big stages. And you have to leave no doubt, basically. So I think that Joe Milton's going to have to play great against Georgia. And he's got to play great against Alabama. If he plays phenomenally well against both, then he's going to have a real chance. But it didn't look pretty last year against Georgia. Alabama, on the other hand, that was perhaps the best moment of the year for Hendon Hooker. So was a little surprised to see so much love for Joe Milton, at least at this point. I'm excited, I'm bullish, I'm optimistic, but I was shocked at how few people were saying Jaden Daniels. I mean, we had a few, okay? Adam, for instance, saying gotta be Jaden Daniels, real Deshaun Watson vibes, I don't know if I'd go as far as to compare him to Sean Watson because I always thought like Deshaun Watson was a little bit more of a thrower. Jane Daniels, his first instinct at least early last year was to take off and do it himself and run the football. Deshaun Watson always felt like a guy that was trying to distribute. And then his legs were getting him out of jail, for instance, like if he was, didn't have anybody open, he'd take off. Jane Daniels would take off and then look and see if anybody's open and potentially throw it. But in some cases, Just keep it himself. Now, he evolved a little bit as last year went along, and I think the sky is the limit for Jaden Daniels. I'm not going to say he's got a Joe Burrow 2019 season coming, but just the opportunities for him to grow and improve based on how he played down the stretch last year are endless. I think he is a guy that more people need to be thinking about as we go into the season as a Heisman Trophy contender. And then finally, I was so happy to see this guy get some representation Quinchon Judkins at Ole Miss. Uh, if they run the ball as often as I think they're going to run the football, he's going to have ridiculous numbers. Now, if you want to be a Heisman contender at running back, you got to go for 2,000 plus. Can he do it? <laughs> we'll find out. But if he does, don't be surprised if Quinchon Judkins, regardless of what their record may be, and like I said, I already think Ole Miss can be pretty good. If Quinchon Judkins goes for 2,000, and they win 10 games, perhaps, like they did a couple of years ago. Look out. Quinshawn Judkins could very easily book his ticket to New York. Please continue sending in all of your incredible questions to our mailbag, alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. We're going to have a little bit more time here over the next few weeks. We've had a lot of things that we've wanted to get done, a lot of priorities, lists, rankings, etc., but now is the time to kind of bring you guys in. We so appreciate all the questions that you've sent in already. You can also send them in via our social media at always CFB. Or you can just send it to me, at Greg McElroy, whatever you want. But follow us, always CFB, on both Instagram and on Twitter. You'll get a lot of content there as well, exclusive content. We'll be able to kind of access your questions on there pretty easily as well. So please continue doing that. Where are we going with some of these questions today?
2: All right. First question is from Daniel in Orange County. If USC somehow goes 15-0 and this year and wins a national title, what does that do to the power balance in college football?
0: It'd be significant. And because it adds, now granted, for, for Lincoln Riley, ultimately getting over the playoff hump, getting the job done, winning it. Caleb Williams, if they go 15-0, guess what? He's going to have a second Heisman Trophy, which would make him, at worst, you know, the second best player ever when it comes to Heisman Trophy. So I I think that it would be as big of a national championship as there's been in quite some time. And partly because the Big Ten will be welcoming in a new member. We haven't had a West Coast champion in a really long time, two decades. Uh, And granted, Oregon's been there a couple times. There have been some teams that have gotten close out on the West Coast, but ultimately knocking down the door... And getting the job done, it'd be massive. Plus for the Big Ten, man, right now, the national championship focus in the last eight years, dating back to 2015, has been Bama, Georgia, LSU, Clemson, and then you did have Florida State in 13. The one outlier as of right now has been Ohio State in 2014. So to add another national champion to the Big Ten in 24, would go a really long way plus it would kind of remind everybody and I, I think everybody already and look i grew up like my most impressionable years in football usc felt like they were never going to get beat i mean that was from 2003 4 5 like usc when they lost it was like you gotta be kidding me the world is coming to an end do you guys remember those days like when sc was just an absolute juggernaut and I think people have kind of forgotten just how good SC can be. Now, last year was a bit of a reminder, but people still are able to kind of look at it and say, well, they don't play defense and they don't do that. Fair enough. But if they were somehow able to knock down the door, win a national champion, you get the West Coast back in the mix, you get the Big Ten back in the mix for national championships, it'd be a massive, massive... I don't want to say it's going to shift the power out of the Southeast as far as national championship supremacy, But it would go a long way in balancing out the argument with where the leagues are heading, knowing that Ohio State's not going anywhere, Michigan's not going anywhere, SC doesn't seem to be going anywhere, at least at this point, Penn State's not going anywhere, at least you hope they're not at at this moment as well. So I think it'd be a huge championship for the Big Ten, even though SC is technically not in the Big Ten as of this moment.
2: I remember when USC lost to Stanford in 07 and it, felt, it was a 41 point favorite. And you're like, what just happened to the college football world? But,
0: but that was, they weren't even good then. I mean, they were good. They were fine. I remember when SC lost, I think it was 08 to Oregon State. It was on like a Thursday night and it was like, what? You know, it's like, so SC is good for a clunker almost every year. I, I mean, dating, it doesn't matter how good they've been in the last 20 years. There's been one clunker for SC almost annually. It, whether it's been a road trip to Washington state where they lay an egg, a road trip to Oregon state where they lay an egg going against and losing to Utah this past year. They, and they've lost to Arizona state. I believe like on like a hail Mary. I mean, they've just, they're good for a clunker or two, but you gotta hope that that's behind them and that better things are coming with what Lincoln Riley's done already in Los Angeles and what he's likely to do here when they get more, I don't want to say more resources because they're certainly not short on resources, but it just feels like the arrow is pointing up for SC. And do y'all agree with that? I mean, just hit us up. Always CFB. Do y'all agree? Do you feel like the arrow is pointing up for USC? Cause man, for me, it certainly feels like it is.
2: Okay, right, next question comes from Ken in new Orleans, but he's working in Asia. He says, can you take us inside the head of a quarterback? How do you block out the external noise from the public critique of the past week's performance, mentally prepare for the upcoming opponent, and at the game, stay focused on execution and avoiding the distractions from the fans, the trash talk from the opponents, bounce back from mistakes, and execute at a high level?
0: Well, it's a great question. Let's, let's talk about on the field first. Because... A lot of people think, well, the you know, crowd noise and, and the challenges of trying to communicate nonverbal communication amongst your teammates, you would think that'd be crazy difficult, right? But the way they can simulate it now by having crowd noise at practice, most of these offenses are operating out of a no huddle anyways. So back 10, 20, 15 years ago when everyone was huddling up, it was a little bit different. When you'd go on the road and you'd have to do all these signals and change plays and all this stuff. Now, so much of it is done from the sideline. So it's not quite as challenging as it once was. Here's the thing I would say about blocking the noise on the field is, y'all, it's do or die every play. (laughs) I think we all watch the movie The Program, right? And and we look across the line and, yeah, I'm going to peel your gap. Like, you, you know, like you think that that's what's going on. In a game, it, it's it's not. Uh, you know, you think Latimer's going to rip your helmet off and take it to the sideline and hand it to James Kahn. Like, no, it, it doesn't happen that way. I mean, I, like, like starting defense, place at the table. I, I mean, yes, the, it is. Sometimes it can be a little intimidating for sure. And there are guys that chirp. And I remember guys that I played against that would chirp. But it was all in good fun. I mean, it, it was never hostile. So you're so focused on what you have to do on the next play coming up that you can't really think about what people are saying to you. Like I can, I remember there were plenty of people that would just chirp and you're just walking away. I'm just trying to get the play from the sideline. So I didn't even hear what you said, but I'm sure it was really mean and hurtful. Um, Probably would hurt my feelings and I wouldn't worry too much about that. So it's actually not as hard as you might think. What is challenging, and I think this is even more so nowadays, and I talk to players about it too. And when we try to, look, when when I'm doing a game, or when we're ha- having a, a talk with the player on a Friday meeting before we call the game on Saturday. I, w- I just want to get to know the guy. You know, I, I wanted to get to, because we all know what the player is. Like, I can watch the tape and look at the stats and the accuracy and the, and the decision-making. Like, we can see all that. But I want to know what makes you click. And there have been guys I've sat down with that are actually very, very vulnerable in those meetings. And maybe they're coming off a tough week played bad the week before, maybe cost their team a couple points, maybe cost their team a touchdown, whatever it may be. And and there are guys that are really really feeling that previous performance. And it and it makes you hurt, like as a dad, it makes me hurt because I think man, I don't want, you know, it's just a game, man. Like but when you're lit, when your whole life goes into 12 performances a year and you train 365 days a year, to try to play well and, and to give your team a chance and to, and to perform at your very best and you let yourself and your teammates down, it's a terrible feeling. It's a, it's absolutely horrible. It's a horrible, horrible feeling. It feels like a week of your life is wasted. And if you divide, basically, if you divide this the year up by 12, I mean, you divide it by 12, basically a month, a, t- a month of time that you put over the last year to go into that specific game is gone. And it was lost and you ruined it. It's a terrible feeling, but you used to be able to kind of escape it. You know, it used to be like, hey, it, it happened. I'm bummed. i bummed. I'm really disappointed. And you relive plays and it just you, sometimes you can't sleep. Sometimes you can't eat, whatever it may be. But now it's way worse because these guys can't get on social media. These guys can't get, they can't, they have people that have your phone number. People are calling them anonymously, telling them that they're awful. And and look, everyone, fans are is short for fanatic. But man, these are kids; these are human beings. They're not robots that are just programmed to play football. Like they're human; like they feel emotions. So I, I think the era that I played in, pre social media, it was easier to compartmentalize any bad performance or good performance. You didn't read your press clippings because, if, guess what? The press clippings came on in on the Sunday paper. I didn't have the Sunday paper in college, so but nowadays it's hard to escape it, and, and that's why I think all of us. I'm not preaching or anything, but like we just need to be really mindful about what we say to players, and and knowing that hey, they're doing the best they can. They're not professionals; they're doing the best they can, and and we need to try to support them as best we can. Um, so, in a long way of answering your question, Ken, it's very very hard to do what you're talking about today. It's hard to compartmentalize. It's hard to focus. It's hard to get away from the outside noise because it's all around you and it's never ending. Back in our day, it wasn't as bad. Now it's really, really tough. In closing, the SEC has talked a little bit about whether or not horns down will be considered a 15-yard unsportsmanlike penalty. doesn't sound like that's going to be a high priority. Remember the Big 12 a couple years ago saying this was going to be instituted and it will be used accordingly? Well, I think right now between us, just us, just the thousands of watching people downloading the podcast, I think the Big 12 might let that slide a little bit in 2023. And I think the SEC in 2024 will probably let it slide as well. Why not? Who cares? It's purely a symbol. It's all in good fun. I grew up a Texas Longhorn fan. For those that have watched the show, you know that I favor the Texas Longhorns this year. I like them quite a bit. But guess what? I did horns down when we played them. It's not because I hate Texas. It's because we beat them. Why not? No no disrespect, of course. And of course, I know all the Longhorn fans that are rolling their eyes saying, Well, if Colt didn't get hurt, fair enough. We can have that conversation on a different day. I do want to continue to encourage y'all, if you could, and just take a second. Please take a second to go rate the podcast, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, please rate the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast and If you could do one one additional favor, you could just take a half second, just a half second to leave a, a review. If you hate the show, don't bother. It's okay. You don't have to leave a review. But if you like the show and if you like what we're doing, it would go a long way with us. If you could just maybe at the bottom say a couple of nice words, what you like specifically about the show so we can talk about it. Like Stephen Weeks left us an amazing uh, review last week. We really appreciate Jay Ingram 2288 who left us a review last week. So we see him, we read them, and we appreciate your guys' support more than you know. For all of us here at Always College Football, we don't have a marketing group. It's just us. So if you can continue to tell your friends, word of mouth is huge. Our numbers are growing significantly and we couldn't do it without your help. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a terrific day, and remember, it's always college football. Hey, guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcast.